It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum. This is number 202. And we begin with this incredible event. That was the crowd singing God Save the Queen at the Queen's 70th anniversary of her coronation. 70 years. It really is quite extraordinary. Now, whether you... There there are extreme reactions to the Queen. We're going to look at some of those. But no matter what your view, whether you're a diehard Republican or whether you're a diehard Royalist, there is no question that this woman is of enormous significance in this world and we can learn a great deal about her. For those of you who are new to Quantum, this is just a podcast that looks at news and views from throughout the world uh, from a, uh, a Christian perspective. And <clears throat> the Queen is very significant throughout the world. About a third of the world she's the head of in the sense of she's the head of the Commonwealth. And she has been reigning for 70 years, as I said already, which is extraordinary. I, For me personally... I, I think it's Britain is going to be in real trouble when the Queen dies and she is getting obviously older and much frailer. And you could see that. She wasn't able to attend all the events. But what she did do was marvellous. Now, there, there are so many stories about the Queen. Uh, I love this one from a, a former member of her staff. Normally, on these picnic sites, you, you meet nobody. But there was two hikers coming towards us and the Queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped, they hadn't recognized the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? <laughs> and she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. <laughs> and he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clogs thick. And he said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. I and as it. quick as a flash, she says, well, I haven't, but Dickie meets her regularly. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy said to me, well, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull a leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humour. Anyway, the next thing I knew, this guy comes around, put his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of the two of us? 
Anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen, and we never let on, and we waved goodbye, and then Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows us photographs to the friends in America, and hopefully someone tells him who I am. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, there's a humanity about the Queen. Uh, you may not know this, but the Queen goes to stay at Balmoral, and when she does, when she goes for the weekend, they have a chaplain in for the weekend who goes and stays, and several people I know have done that. And one of them told me that when he was there, you know, the Queen, not the Queen, but her servants unpack the suitcase for you. And uh, he was told to go down to one of the Land Rovers because they were going to go for a barbecue. And he got into the passenger seat and the Queen jumped in beside him and she drove them. Uh, this, you know, there there's so many stories about her humanity and about her Christianity a couple of years ago on this podcast, I mentioned that I thought she was a genuine believer and not just, you know, as many political leaders do, doing religion just for the sake of it. And I was contacted by uh, somebody who is on the Queen's staff and they said, you know, we have a Bible study, uh, not with her, but for her. And they, are, they had no doubt that she was a genuine believer. And I do think that her faith is a key part of who she is. But let me tell you the thing about the, the 70th anniversary that really <laughs> I just loved. It moved me and it made me laugh. And again, I'll put a link to it, but if you haven't seen it already, see the skit that the Queen did with Paddington Bear. Um, here's just a little part of it. Um, perhaps you would like a marmalade sandwich. I always keep one for emergencies. So do I. I keep mine in here. Oh. For later. The party is about to start, Your Majesty. Happy Jubilee, ma'am. And thank you for everything. That's very kind. You know, it's it's just astonishing um, how she's able to do that. Whoever devised that for her, I thought it was wonderful. Now, of course, this can all go over the top. I remember when the Queen came to Nig up in the Highlands and we lived on Nig Hill. And I remember one seeing when she came that one side, one side of the houses along the main, along the street were, were painted. And that was just the side the Queen would see. The rest of the house wasn't painted. Or there, you know, again, there are so many stories. There's a beautiful film called To Kiss the Water about Megan Boyd, who was actually in our church in Barora, and she was a, a famous fly tire. Anyway, um, Prince Charles often used to visit her. And, uh, she got, I think, an MBE or an OBE or something, and she was asked to come down to it. And in that film, there's the story of how she sent the Queen a letter. Dear Elizabeth, called her by her first name, Dear Elizabeth, I'm sorry that I won't be able to come to the ceremony on Saturday. It's my bingo night. I loved it. Um, and that film also tells the story of how Meghan was uh, blind or going very blind, and Charles wanted her to come down and see his own surgeon in London. And she responded by saying, yes, I'll come down if you meet me off the train. And he did. So I love that. You know this, I, 
I'm, I'll confess, I'm not a royalist, but the Queen rocks. And speaking of the Queen rocking... Buddy, you're a boy, make a big nice plane in the street, gonna be a big man someday. You got mud on your face, you big disgrace, kicking your can all over the place, singing... We will, we will rock you. A big disgrace Waving your banner all over the place We will, we will rock you Sing it We will, we will rock you That of course is Queen uh, We will rock you Now, let's look at some of the major events in the world Through the prism of that, as if you like And here is... Uh, Prince William giving us all a wee lecture. When humankind focuses its mind, anything is possible. It's my firm hope that my grandmother's words are as true in 70 years time as they are tonight. That as nations we come together in common cause, because then there is always room for hope. Tonight has been full of such optimism and joy and there is hope. Together, if we harness the very best of humankind and restore our planet, we will protect it for our children, for our grandchildren, and for future generations to come. They will be able to say, with pride at what's been achieved, what a wonderful world. Well, what he actually did before that was basically go on about climate change. Now, the bit that you heard there, again, this for me is an enormous problem. Why? Because it's selling an illusion. This hope in a united humankind. Well, sure, we're in a world right now where China is, is buzzing Taiwan, preparing to invade probably, where there's slaughter in Nigeria, where what's going on in Ukraine is absolutely horrendous. And there's the prince standing up and saying, if we just, just get united everything will be fine, and we'll be proud of what we can do, and we can create a beautiful world. That's hubris. And I hesitate to say this, but it's also hypocrisy. And why is it hypocrisy? I'm tired of, of rich people lecturing the rest of us, especially the poor, as to how we're going to have to tone down how we live. Prince Williams talked about the pressing need to protect and restore our planet. Um... Now, I wish that they were more like the Queen and didn't get involved in political issues. You know, it, it just makes a fool of the monarchy. Prince Harry, for example, remember when he took a private jet to a Google Run retreat in Sicily where he del delivered a lecture in his bare feet on the dangers of climate change? Prince Charles, who continually boasts about his green credentials, and I believe he drives a cheese-powered Aston Martin, but he has the biggest, highest carbon footprint of all the the royals. And I saw a report which indicated that the Queen, Prince Charles, Prince William and Prince Harry and their partners collectively generate 3,810 tonnes of carbon dioxide a year. That's eco-experts who've calculated this. An average family of four in the UK produce 37 
tons. In other words, the royals contribute 50 times more than any other household. And I, it ill behoves them to lecture the rest of us. They fly in on private jets and tell us we all need to cut down. No. And in that same vein, there's an astonishing item in the news that uh, in the Irish Times, again, I put the link to this, that executive jets are going to escape plans to tax polluting aviation fuels. So the EU Commission are planning to tax aviation fuels unless you've got your own private jet. Wow. Doesn't that kind of say everything, both about the EU and about the climate change industry? It is one rule for the wealthy and the powerful and another rule for the rest of us. Okay, let's come on to this, another subject. Climate change is a big subject. War is a big subject. But religion is a big subject as well. And it was interesting to me listening to BBC Sunday desperately trying to portray the Queen as the defender of all faiths. There was a commentator, Claire Balding, who was talking about, the commentating on the celebration. And uh, she actually said this. She informed us that one of the Queen's titles was Defender of the Faith, and what an unfortunate thing that was. The rest of the pageant was, <coughs> I can't remember who wrote this, oh, Archbishop Cranmer put a link to his article, was a true celebration of multicultural, multiracial, and multi-faith diversity, tolerance, equality, and so on. Why is Defender of the Faith such an unfortunate title? I, I know that for a while, Prince Charles was saying he wanted to be defender of faith, but I think he's backed off from that, and he realised being defender of the faith, the Christian faith, is actually good for other faiths. Well, why is that? I think it's because it creates a uh, a society, a freer society, where people are able to express their different faiths. Because, ironically, as we move towards a more multi-faith society, there is a danger that we won't be able to do that, because some faiths don't want that. So listen to this. We value you all as our customers. We're in the heart of this community. At a local level, it wasn't our decision to show this film. It came from above. We totally agree with what you're saying. Thank you, sir. We are not prepared at this cinema to show this film. Now, that's astonishing. And if you don't know the story, it's simply this. Cineworld were putting on a film, a £12 million film, on the Prophet Muhammad's daughter. But hundreds of protesters gathered round and prevented it going ahead. Now, the film's called The Lady of Heaven. It's a historical drama. It doesn't portray uh, an image, well, it doesn't portray the face of Lady Fatima. But protesters gathered outside cinemas in Sheffield, Bolton and Birmingham. And Cineworld have pulled the film, saying it was to ensure the safety of staff and customers. I want you to think about that for a moment. There is not a chance that any film that was blasphemous about Christ, and there, there have been many, would be stopped. But we're living in a world, and in the United Kingdom, in a country, and I think in many place, other places in Europe, where a mob 
is able to intimidate in that way. And again, it's so funny how progressives keep quiet about that. We're getting a new blasphemy law. So I, I do personally want the Queen to be the defender of faith, or of the faith rather. Um, but she's also the head of the Church of England. Now there's this absolutely brilliant clip. We're not going to play it all from uh, Yes Prime Minister or Yes Minister, which talks about how a bishop is appointed. So the bishops are actually meant to be appointed by the government. But listen to this bit. So what you're saying is that Canon Stanford is a political troublemaker. Well, not exactly, but it could be a thorn in your side on several issues. Strikes, public expenditure on welfare, inner cities, unemployment, defence. It's interesting, isn't it, that nowadays politicians want to talk about moral issues and bishops want to talk politics. <laughs> and he'd speak with the authority of a bishop and as a member of the Lords. He designed a new church in South London, and on the plans were places for dispensing orange juice, family planning, and organizing demos. <laughs> but no place for Holy Communion. Are you serious? Uh, well, there was a dual-purpose hall in which you could hold a service. And the church approved this? Well, of course. You see, the church is run by theologians. How do you mean? Well, theology is a device for enabling agnostics to stay within the church. <laughs> I don't want Canon Stanford. What am I to do? Well, you could turn both candidates down, but that would be exceptional and not advised. Even though one of them wants to get God out of the Church of England and the other wants to get the Queen out? <laughs> well, the Queen is inseparable from the Church of England. Is she? What about God? <laughs> I think he's what's called an optional extra. Now, there, there's so many... I mean, it's a satirical program. It has so much truth within it. I love the bit, for example, about uh, bishops' politics. The bishops are more interested in politics and the politicians are talking about morality or theology being a device for enabling agnostics to stay in the church. Well, that's bad theology, of course. But I thought this was actually very prescient and direct. The queen is the head of the church. She's absolutely essential. God is an optional extra. I think that's true, actually, for many Christian churches. I think they've become social organisations. They've become almost like private clubs. They've become political organisations. I heard somebody once say many years ago, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the church in the UK or in the West, that 90% uh, of what we do would carry on as if nothing had happened. Well, I genuinely believe, I do believe that the Queen is a genuine believer. Um, but she shouldn't be head of, of the church. So, um, look, there's a negative side to this as well. There are people who don't like the Queen. Uh, remember these guys from 50 years ago? That is the Sex Pistols. I actually think it's quite ironic that 50 years later, Sid Vicious is dead, the Queen is still alive. And as far as I know, the members of the Pistols who are still alive have kind of uh, uh, turned out, instead of being these kind of radical anarchists, have now turned out to be remarkably conservative. That, that's the way it happens. But there are those who want a republic. 
I suspect in the UK that won't gather any momentum until uh, the Queen dies. But uh, I was disappointed at The National, which is the house newspaper for the Scottish National Party and government, where they ran uh, a crass, a cr it really was a crass front page showing the Queen and Prince Charles and William uh, and Catherine and so on. The royal flush being flushed down the toilet. It was it was just crass and crude. Not quite as crass and crude, but really not that great, was Anthony Albanese appointing a minister for the Republic here in Australia. Now, fair enough. I mean, they're not going to hold a referendum soon. I doubt they will hold it in the lifetime of his government. But to do so in the week of the Queen's 70th anniversary, it was a little bit tasteless. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that argument pans out. Let's just move on and think about something else. When the Queen dies, as I've said, I, I already believe that that will be a hugely significant event and it will be perhaps a catalyst for a decaying society. Now, how, how is our society decaying? Well, when the Queen came to power, the BBC had in its constitution, in its uh, aim to basically to glorify God. And now it's moving further and further away from truth. There's an astonishing story this week of the BBC altering a rape victim's quotes in order to avoid misgendering her transgender attacker. There's an article in October 2021 about a lesbian woman who felt pressured to have sexual encounters with men who identify as transgender women. They were accused of transphobia, verbal abuse, threats of violence if they refused. One victim, a young lesbian woman, claimed she'd been raped by a transgender woman, basically a biological male, a man. But in every instance where she used the pronouns he or him to refer to her alleged attacker, the BBC changed the pronouns to read they or them instead. This was apparently hotly debated by BBC staff prior to publication. This is what the woman said. We're not saying what she should have said. The BBC could argue that. But it's what she actually said. I was too young to argue and had been brainwashed by queer theory. So he was a woman, even if every fibre of my being was screaming throughout. So I agreed to go home with him. He used physical force when I changed my mind upon seeing his penis and raped me. And the BBC had her saying this. They threatened to out me as a turf and risk my job if I refused to sleep with them. I was too young to argue and had been brainwashed by queer theory. So they were a woman, even if every fibre of my being was screaming throughout. So I agreed to go home with them. They used physical force when I changed my mind upon seeing their penis and raped me. That's extraordinary. There's a great quote from Solzhenitsyn. We know they are lying. They know they are lying. They know we know they are lying. We know they know we know they are lying. But they are still lying. Here's another example of decay in society, this time from the United States, where Matt Walsh has uh, put out a new film. I'll probably do a review for it for you once I've seen the whole thing, but here's a clip. Male gametes. That's what makes me male. No, your, your sperm don't make you male. Then what does? It's a constellation. In reality, in truth, okay? Whose truth are we talking about? The same truth that says we're sitting in this room right now, you and I. No, you're not listening. 
if I, if I see a chicken laying eggs and I say that's a female chicken laying eggs, did I assign female or am I just observing a physical reality that's happening in the world? Does a chicken have gender identity? Does a chicken cry? Well, a Does chi a chicken commit suicide? Let's frame it because you're talking, you're trying. A chicken to has sex like any, like any biological organism. A chicken has organism. an assigned gender, but a chicken doesn't have a gender identity. So we assign female to chickens when they lay eggs? That's a, we that's assume they're female if they lay eggs. I mean, how can I use this phrase anymore, saying it's Python-esque? You would think that having a professional academic saying, well, we assign gender to chickens. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I mean, it, it is funny, but it's unbelievably pathetic and, and dangerous. No, we don't. So I, you know... And in a sense, there are the two massive contrasts where we've got this woman who has for 70 years done her duty, served her country through thick and thin, who's remained consistent in her Christian faith. And we're being led by people who can't even tell us what a woman is now. All right, I've been doing this uh, mini-series on my top 10 live performances. Uh, this is number four. Listen to a bit of this. Dire Straits, Salt and Swing. Uh, it is the live version, Alchemy. I think it's had about 220 million views. And little wonder. I have watched it about 20 times. It is, it is an unbelievable performance in terms of musicianship. If you want to celebrate the creativity and the good in humanity, then just go and listen to Mark Knopfler's guitar solo in that. Just wonderful. I think... Um, that and Paddington Bear and the Queen have been my highlights of uh, this week. But then I thought, you know, the hope of the world is, you know what Prince William says, the young people saving the world or the countries being united. That's a delusion. It's a fantasy. The Queen is not the hope of the world. She's going to die almost certainly very soon. She's not the hope f for anybody, really. And it's a shame when, when people lay that pressure on anyone. Remember somebody saying to me, who do you think you are, the saviour of the world? Oh, no, 
I absolutely, no, 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 no. To have that burden would be unbelievable. But here is Peter Hitchens explaining who the hope of the world is. And it's, there's a contrast. So listen to this. Which so-called dangerous idea do you each think would have the greatest potential to change the world for the better if it were implemented? Dan, let's start with you. Oh, oh my God. You've got to give us a minute to think about that. <laughs> uh, population control. There's too many goddamn people on the planet. And I don't know if that's a... You know, I'm, I'm pro-choice. I believe that women should have the right to control their bodies. Sometimes in my darker moments, I'm anti-choice. I think abortion should be mandatory for about 30 years. <laughs> that's a dangerous idea. She wanted a dangerous idea. So throw a chair at me. That is a very dangerous idea. The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. I have to agree with that. Just quickly, uh, just, I think you can't really leave it there. Why dangerous? I can't really leave it there because it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos. Uh, into, a, into a designed place in which there is justice and there, and there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It's why so many people turn against it. That was from Q&A, I believe, in 2015 here in Australia. And Dan, and I can't even remember his second name, you get the ugliness of the modern world where he's arguing for mandatory abortion. Oh, the planet's dying. We need to just kill people. But Hitchens, when asked what the hope of the world is, says Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection. Why is that the hope of the world? Well, he's right. Because it alters the whole of human behavior. It turns the world upside down. It gives us real hope. Real hope. So I'm going to love you and leave you. Uh, yes, God save the Queen. But I'm going to leave you with this marvellous anthem to the King of Kings. If you want to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser, go to the website and you will see... um, lots of links to the stories that I've put here and just uh, again give you a heads up I'm producing a prayer letter newsletter for asks for what we're doing here and if you want that please email me uh, it's a, be a private one but I'll put you on that God save the Queen God bless you and may we all worship and serve the King of Kings see you next week bye <laughs>